If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Citations Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition. For all you kids out there, the official podcast of your baseball prospectus Mets local site. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me once again this week is Jarrett Seidler. Jarrett, I don't sound like I'm in the bottom of a well this week. No, hopefully we can keep the uh, digitization to a minimum, too. I did a lot of noise removal, man. I I don't know why I didn't automatically, because obviously I recorded our interview with Meg downstairs because my wife was putting together an Ikea bookcase with a hammer, as far as I could tell, in the office next door. But when I plugged it back in uh, on Monday to do our segments, I did not notice that it was not reading it. Even though you told me your laptop fan sounds really loud. Yeah, I, I like it didn't sound right, but I just I figured it was bad Skype connection or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Skype connection was actually fine for those segments. <laughs> Yeah. everything else wasn't but I just shoved it out there because uh, that's how we roll on for all you kids out there and I just didn't want to re-record it because it was already yeah, if, two hours if we have, plus long and we had some good like rants in there so if we have one out of every 20 episodes it's a lower audio quality shit happens sure we also again we didn't get to record while we were together this weekend at the Lakewood Hickory series yeah we ended up like, staggeringly actually busy for pretty much the entire time. I mean, busy in so much that, you know, we went to Atlantic City and then watched the UFC yeah. pay-per-view. No. Do, doing stuff that wasn't copacetic, sitting yeah. out like a table for an hour and a half. Yeah. I will say that uh, I didn't take a picture of this and put it in our on our Facebook group, although I was sorely tempted. You have the most bachelor pad refrigerator I think I've ever seen in my life. What do you mean? There's like no actual food in it. We do have the we have taste in the same Trader Joe's cheddar cheese, though. I will say that. Oh my! I mean, a lot of my foods like either canned or frozen. To be honest, as I said, I I re- well you know so well so first of all, I also haven't went, intentionally haven't went food shopping because I'm going out of town for six sure, days sure, tomorrow. Sure. So like I usually do have more food in it than that, but you know I eat for. Five days a week, I eat one meal a day here. I eat, you know, I usually eat breakfast and lunch both at work. So. Fair enough. I'm not like, you know, I was the same way when I was a, a swinging single. You know, so I, uh, yeah, I mostly have drinking there and some frozen foods and some, you know, pasta and stuff. But yeah, no, it, it, it was emptier than it usually is because, um, we're going to Saber Seminar this week. Yeah, I we'll, actually took the entire week off. I'm going to hang out in the city for a couple of days and then go up. We'll do our midnight recording of next week's show in our hotel room with a cast of thousands, possibly. Whoever comes along on our cocktail crawl. Yes. So, if you're going to be in Boston on Saturday and would like to hang out with me and Jeff on Saturday night, get in contact with one of us. I've already said a good 
pace for the week because when I was driving home, I needed to stop for dinner, and I was like, whatever. I'm the GSP was a parking lot as it is wont to be on Sunday evening. So I just did like the search search along route function on my GPS and found like the first place that wasn't a chain restaurant, clicked on their website, and it looked like a uh, converted barn with a cocktail menu. Like, that seems like my kind of place. And sure enough, it was. Where was this? Clifton, New Jersey. It's called What's the Barrow that? House. I used to live over around there. Never heard of that one. The Barrow House. The bartenders all wear suspenders, so it's exactly what you would expect. It is thoroughly my kind of place. Yeah, this looks... I wonder if it's new or... Yeah, I don't remember that. So, you know, I, I lived in Newark for a couple of years, so I used to go up to Clifton because that was like kind of one of the closest uh, higher rent areas, so to speak. Yeah. Um, oh, it looks pretty nice. It's very nice. I had the chicken fried duck wing, which was very good. Looks like, you know, a lot of these places have opened in the last. It's very much one of those places, yes. Yeah. Farm to table, new American, high-end cocktails. Sure, sure. My crowd. We also, you gave me the driving tour of Atlantic City, including, like, the story of how you got uh, kicked out of Harris for a month. Yeah, that was that was many years ago. Um, but I, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty depressing now. We did have a less depressing weekend at the ballpark, which we'll get to later in the show. We don't have a guest. We're just doing it's the trade deadlines, July thirty first, Monday night. You Craig guys, wasn't Craig, Craig wasn't available. Craig wasn't available, so we're just gonna we're gonna roll through this stuff. Uh, we have a lot of correspondence this week for reasons that are probably obvious to you if you're listening to the show. And we will get right into it with sort of. We'll start with the Mets moves at the trade deadline, and I guess with the. Do we just want to do the deals in order of. Uh, calendar order, basically? Is that the easiest way to do it? And then sort of zoom out from there? And then the deals that they didn't make and the deals that they still might make? Yes. So the first deal they made was they traded Lucas Duda to the Tampa Bay Rays for reliever prospect Drew Smith. So I want to zip back okay. to the BP Mets thing. Sandy Alderson at our BP Mets event basically fought out said they were calling up Ahmed Rosario on August 1st, and I think because there was so much other obfuscation and stuff packed in there that I don't think any of us actually took him literally, but mm. he did he <laughs> did flat out say that, and they flat out did. Yes. Is it possible that they knew by the first week in July when this was happening, that the returns on all these guys were going to suck so bad that they were just going to wipe it off the paper the next day by calling up Rosario? So, the problem with that is then why do you go to the press and say we're not calling him up because of the because you have toxic to have clubhouse involving Estrubo Cabrera? I don't yes, know. Yes, they did the walk rate was bad and the clubhouse was toxic and now it's like they're dr- dropping quotes to Mike Puma. That's like, oh, we think he's was just is just bored in AAA. Well, there's a reason for that, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we got rid of Addison Reed, and maybe he was part of the problem. Like, what? That, <laughs> you weren't saying that before today. So I guess, what's the argument for doing it now as opposed to six weeks ago when the Super Two deadline was like? All he basically did was get you know he loses 150 plate appearances of Major League 
time. All the same people that are blocking him are still here. But instead of, you know, the new cycle tomorrow being Yankees trade for Sonny Gray, Mets get garbage back for good players, it's Yankees trade for Sonny Gray, Mets call Bob Ed Rosario. Fair enough. And they care deeply about this kind of stuff. They really do. You know, they bought playing time for Estrubal Cabrera to perhaps acquit himself well enough to get traded. We'll get back to that. Sure. Um, you know, I've certainly heard the suggestion that maybe there was some kind of handshake deal where they promised Jose Reyes a certain amount of playing time in exchange for that second-year option. Sure. That could have been involved. It could have, you know, certainly whispers that perhaps Terry Collins was not as excited to get Rosario as everybody else was. Sure, let's be careful. Sure, but, you know, he's sort of a proclivity for veterans. Yes, that's a good way to put it. So, w- would it surprise me? No. Um, maybe they just thought he needed another six weeks of development, you know? That is, like, the Occam's Razor easy, easy question is that, you know, if you look at it, he ended up having almost exactly one season in the high minors, and they generally like to get their hitters exactly one season in the high minors yes. or more. Yep. They do not want to call their hitters up with less than 650 plate appearances in the high minors, and this got him to, like, 670-something. I don't yeah. know the numbers in the call-up. So, I mean, th- those, kind of, a lot of factors. those kind of cookie-cutter hard and fast rules are just as bad as, you know, prescribed minor league walk rates. Correct. But we also know that they believe in them to some at least slight effect. Yep. And it could be a lot of these things. It could be all of them. It could be none of them. You know, they might have on June 15th had a meeting with Jose Reyes and said, okay, you get the next six weeks, but then Rosario's coming up. Sure. You know, there's a lot of, there's like the human element at play here that we like to disparage sometimes and not disparage other times. They don't seem particularly good at managing that this year, so. No, but that's also because they're losing. Yeah, no, it's the old clubhouse chemistry, uh, you know, chicken and the egg thing. You never hear about, you know. Well, I guess the Boston Red Sox, the only good team with bad, the bad clubhouse I've ever heard about. But, you know, it's also the Boston media is involved there, so all bets are off. Yeah. So, Lucas Duda, we should talk about the actual trades. Right. I mean, so, this is bad return. It is. I mean, I think the, the J.D. Martinez trade kind of indicated that the corner bat rental market was going to be very, very... Shallow. A, the Mets flooded it. <laughs> That's part of the and problem, yeah. B, nobody wanted these guys. And C, the Mets weren't eating money. So. Yeah, and it varies in uh, importance depending on the player, which we'll get to. But, you know, Duda's still owed probably about $4 million. Something like that. That's not. Especially for the Rays, that's not an insignificant amount of money to take on at the deadline. Because, you know, teams. Some teams will budget more for deadline acquisitions. Um, but if you're getting, you know, $4 million for Lucas Dude is a lot different than you know, $5.5 million or whatever's left on you Darvish's deal. 
So they got a third-round college reliever, which is, I guess, probably roughly equivalent to or slightly worse in value than the Comp B pick had they successfully qualified him and not had him signed. And he very well might have taken the qualifying offer. And we'll talk about that in relation to Jay Bruce in a little bit. Yeah. But there's just like... I have definitely seen it out, seen it thrown out that the changes in the qualifying offer badly hurt the trade value of rentals in general because it hurt the leverage of the teams trading them. And I think Duda in specific is a guy, especially, you know, maybe not the $17 million qualifying offer last year, but two or three years ago at a $12 million qualifying offer, you just keep him and qualify him. Yeah. Now... You can't really do that anymore. You know, you see you Darvish go for a positionless bat and, you know, two prep guys that they signed for sec- second round money in later rounds. That's like, and that's you Darvish. You know, you Darvish as a rental in previous years is going for, you know, top 20, top 25 global guy. And this year he goes, I, we, Willie Calhoun wasn't on our midseason 50. He was in the mix for the midseason 50. There were I, people who strongly supported him. There were people who strongly disfavored him. I think I'm he's, generally more, I come down roughly in the middle on Willie Calhoun. He is a prospect. I would not be surprised and I would not call crazy if you wanted to say, if you wanted to tell me that the Rangers think Willie Calhoun's a top 30 or 35 prospect in baseball. You can come to that conclusion if you want. It's not a crazy conclusion. Sure. Um, so they may value Willie Calhoun a lot more than other teams do. They're also a team that has the DH available to them at the major league level. Um, I don't think it's a giant secret that the Dodgers have been trying to move Calhoun for some time. Correct. But only for a big... Yeah. It wasn't like they were try- trying yeah. to move him in the, let's get rid... Right. They were it's trying the, to, oh, you want Alex was, Verdugo? Let me tell you about Willie Calhoun. Blake Rutherford was being shopped in the same kind of way. Mm-hmm. So was Tyler O'Neill. You know, when you start hearing every rumor involving a team involves these guys, it's because they're being shopped. Yeah. They're out there. They would have been perfectly happy keeping Willie Calhoun and either moving him in the offseason or finding a spot for him to play next year, too. Right. But he's an asset that might be – if you are an AL team that really loves his bat, he might be worth a lot more to you than he is to the Dodgers. Right. You know, you can DH him 70 games a year, and then when you need to play him in the field, just you live with the bad defense if it's only half time. Or you just give him a full-time DH role and hope he hits. Just like in, a, in you know, the Sonny Gray trade, I think Dustin Fowler is worth a lot more to the A's than he is to the Yankees based well, on where their two systems lie. We'll get to that. Based on I Dustin some, Fowler's skills. I had some takes on that on the DFA podcast, but that was like literally as it was happening. So, sure, I have more takes now. Um, but we can we can kind of roll some discussion because these trades the the market does not happen in a vacuum. Yep. Everything is everything is connected to each other when. When the Cubs go trade for Justin Wilson, all of a sudden they're not interested in Jerry Blevins. You know, yeah. these things are connected to each other. When the when the Dodgers decide, when the Dodgers trade for Tony Watson, they're not in on Ashton Reed anymore. Yeah. So the sort of constant theme of this deadline was obviously the Mets moving for right handed relief pitching help, which is something we'll return to with 
uh, they, uh, the Addison Reed deal as well. But then we, I remember we were sitting watching the game Friday night, and the as the Addison Reed deal, or sorry, as the AJ Ramos deal came down, and we apparently had the same reaction as AJ Ramos. That was <laughs> yeah. a mistake. Yeah. Like obviously Ramos was being chopped around the deadline, but you would assume to like you know a team in contention that needs relief help, the aforementioned Chicago Cubs or Los Angeles Dodgers or. Who else traded for a reliever? Washington Nationals. But the New York Mets traded... Uh, I think we were, trying, we were trying to figure out who it was. And of course it was the same game that Chikini got pulled from Vegas. But they didn't even really get... I don't know. So let's talk about Randy Gonzalez. We're being a little so, scattershot so, here. So I'm, I'm, I'm of two minds of this. Yeah. I think in a vacuum this is a really good trade. Yep. Randy Gonzalez has a 20% chance to be A.J. Ramos in five years. You gave him more than of a chance than I gave him in the TA. I said 10. So Yeah, but it's like he's got a chance. To, A.J. Ramos is a really good reliever. I know his walk rate tie. Um, yeah. You know, you can look at certain factors that might have influenced that negatively in Florida. Most notably, J.T. Realmuto is one of the worst framing catchers that teams will still allow to catch because he's so good offensively and in other defensive aspects. Yeah. I mean, A.J. Ramos does not have plus control, let's be clear. He does not. And, you know, he was perhaps also sometimes used in ways where he was left out to dry and would walk, you know, four people, whereas maybe a better manager would have removed him after the second walk. That does pump your walk rate. Yes, also in an organization where that'll get cleaned up nicely, I'm sure. I'm just throwing that out there. But th- th- there are some reasons to think that maybe, you know, the Mets can do a little bit, little bit of a number on A.J. Ramos. Sure, you want, you know, guys that, like, I mean, Addison Reed is a guy that got a random command jump after coming over. They're also buying really low because his ERA is, like, just randomly a run higher because that happens to closers over two-thirds of a season. Yep. So they're getting him way cheaper than had he, you know, run up a 2-5 ERA. Yeah, and like... Again. Had he run up a 2-5 ERA, he's getting traded for, you know, top 50, top 75 global guy. It looks more like the Justin Wilson trade. Yep. Instead, they're giving up Miranda Gonzalez, who... So, I mean, I like Miranda Gonzalez. I, I think this might be speaking out of turn a little bit, but the reason Miranda Gonzalez, even as much of a profile among Mets fans, as he does, because I wrote a bunch of Miranda Gonzalez starts up last year, because I saw, I think I've seen, the only guy that's, like, seen him and filed reports on him repeatedly. But the stuff was down this year. You know, it's, he's gone from 93 to 95 to low 90s. He's got a, it's a feel for the curve, but it's not a, you know, it's not a projected plus pitch for me. He doesn't have much of a change up. At present, he's not as he's not like super young. He's not particularly projectable. He's you know a six foot righty that's a little stocky. Uh, if you look at the guys they got for AJ Reed, you know as a bullpen arm, Addison he, Reed. Sorry, Addison Reed. Um, AJ Ramos and Addison Reed. That's yeah, gonna be a problem. Um, he doesn't project as well in the pen as any of those guys on a pure stuff level. He does have better command than all of them except the college guy, maybe. Yep. And he has a better chance to start in so much as he's still starting in the minors and having some success there. And he has a better chance to get a stuff jump in so much as that he's still starting in the minors and has a chance there. Like, right. 
But, you know, you're giving up the... I know BA had him top 10. I wouldn't put him there, but it's not like... Well, we did a ranking. We never released it, but he was 13 on the rank. Yeah, and the difference between that is, in this system, especially right now, as shallow as it is, is pretty insignificant. We had him 20 coming into the season, which was a little bit higher than everybody else had him, and we had him 13 at midseason, which was a little bit lower than everybody else had them. But these these differences are not substantial. Yeah. I mean, he didn't move up for us in so much as the stuff hasn't improved. I mean, the, having success in full season ball matters, but the, you know the attrition in front of him, graduations and the like, for the most part. It's just like like you said, in a vacuum, you're getting you know a year plus control of a proven. Major League closer for a guy that's basically a role four reliever for me, and what you would say in a vacuum is a high upside flyer, but there's really not that much upside there. Right, like Gerson Batista is a high upside flyer. Yeah. Jamie Callahan is even a high upside flyer if you really want to make a stretch. Brandy Gonzalez is more a high probability, not great Major League pitcher. Yeah, and there's a chance he's... I think I comped him to Hansel Robles in the past. I don't think he's getting Hansel Robles' velocity jump. Sure, but I mean, that's you know basically where Hansel Robles sat as a starter, and it's similar. Okay, I didn't think Hansel Robles yeah, was fair getting enough. I didn't either. Yeah, but I mean, it does happen. happen. Yeah, it does happen, yeah. That, that's why we say he has a better chance than, say, a Jamie Callahan to get that kind of velocity jump, because he's still got the conversion ahead of him. Right. Whereas Jamie Callahan already made that conversion and already had his velocity jump. And he's like, you know, 90, 95. 90, 95 and a slider, yeah. I literally, the, the, the first sentence of his transaction report is, I could really just write 95 and a slider, dude, the high minors, and y'all know what I meant. Yep. Um, so the overarching thing for these three deals is all very clear, that they are stockpiling right-handed relief pitching, which is something that they just do not have in the organization. And- Sandy Alderson mentioned this in his thing that it's been an organizational failure to acquire hard throwing guys with the chance to be, you know, MLB relievers. Yep. Uh, and if you look at their upper minors bullpens the last few years, and Lord knows I've seen a lot of them, you know, you see a lot of indie ball finds, you know, I've Cody Satterwhite, John Velasquez. Uh, Corey Burns this year, you know, Josh Smoker previously. Al, 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 this year. Yeah, this year, yeah. The PCL, the PCL a, pitcher of the week. He's actually starting, though. Let's be. Mm. Um, I think Kyle Regno is one of those, too. Not a hard thrower, but... And they've had to find these guys. And they've traded away, you know, names that would be in these roles now. You know, Matt Cook, Miller Diaz... John Gant, John Rob Gant, sure. I mean, John Gant would probably still be starting in AAA as would Rob Whalen at this point. But, you know, those kind of guys. Uh, so, so there's... But they've also lost a few. You know, they did not protect Matt Bowman from the Rule 5 draft. And he was drafted and he became a major league reliever of this type and quality. Yep. You know, they, you know... Wally Backman destroyed Jack Leathersitch's arm, and then they lost him on waivers. And he was, he's basically back to being a major league, you know, cap contender pitcher of this quality for the Cubs now. Up and down guy, but yes. Up and down. Um, but yeah, they don't even have the up and down guys, which is why, you know, Eric Goodell's still on the 40, and Josh Edgen isn't anymore, but why he was for so long. Right. Like, they haven't really, like, 
you know, are you really making a 40-man move for Kevin McGowan or Logan Taylor? Maybe. I mean, it just doesn't, like... So, I can't say for sure that Jamie Callahan or Gerson Batista or Steven Nagosik or Drew Smith or... I think that's all of them. Are any better than, like, Ty Bashler or Adonis Aceta? We're, like, the two, probably the two best right-handed relief pitching prospects. But the thing is, you need, like, eight of those guys. Right, to you got to like, hit on two one. major league pitchers. Right, yeah. so it's like, you get, like, they, you know, they've done this before. Vic Black, I mean, we've all heard the story. You know, Vic Black's the lead-inning guy of the future. You know, Zach Thornton's a major league ready reliever now, and it doesn't work out. Because here's the thing. They didn't trade for elite relief pitching prospects. Your elite relief pitching prospects. Yeah, they're all stars. Um, either of the Sheffields. Aldo Lopez. Guys that are not currently pitching in relief in the minors. Hey, the most part. Luke Giolito. <laughs> J- J- yeah. You know, 2013 J.R. Familia. Yes. Um, guys that were sticking at the bottom of the top 50 and going, this guy probably is a reliever. Those are your elite relief pitching prospects. And then the guys that, for the most part, turned your elite relievers in the majors, you know, Dylan Batances, Andrew Miller, we've had this conversation before. You know, Chance Adams might end up being an elite reliever. Eric Fetty. Yes. Um, Yadier Alvarez might end up being an elite reliever. You know, your six-round college guy who's already a reliever in A-ball. It's not impossible, that does happen, but generally speaking, the hit rate there is a lot lower. Yeah. Like, they would have been better off, honestly, going out and getting, like, Michael Shawarin. And he probably ends up a reliever in the end, but he's probably a better reliever than those guys because he already has more present command. And, like... And he's, like, striking out 12 dudes per inning as a starter. (laughs) Addison Reed was technically a college third-round reliever. Sure. Addison Reed made top 100 lists... Addison, including BPs, but made all the major top 100 risks. Addison Reed pitched one season, mostly in the minors, where in 78 innings, he struck out 111, jumped four levels, and made the majors. Yeah. You know, it's like the, this is like what Zach Brody would have done if he hadn't gotten hurt. It was like on pace to do. Right. Or what um, Jonathan Holder in the Yankees system did last year. You know, even other guys like, you know, Carson Fulmer, Tyler J, if they had just let them going to be relievers, they might already be up by now. Yes, he started out 2011 in the South Atlantic League and was in the majors on September 1st. Yeah. And that was his first full season. It's like these... That's a relief press. That's a, yeah. that's a high-end relief press. But... And the guys they traded for, and like, whatever. They're not significant pieces in the Red Sox system, which is actually shallower than the Mets at this point. I mean, there was some hype around Gerson Batista. Sure, he throws 100. You know, he was a name that you had mentioned repeatedly as someone you thought they were going after in a trade with the Red Sox, just because he kind of fits the profile. Um, Jamie Callahan fits the profile. Oh, yeah. I I don't know enough about Steven Nogasek. But... Yeah, I thought, I see, I think when I heard three pitchers, I'm like, oh, they're going to go get a right-handed relief pitcher. It'll be one of those. I, Ty Buttry was in there, too. But you know they were going to go against right ball. Yeah. yeah. Left-handed version of this. William Jerez is another one. Like, right. here's the thing. Every system has these guys except the Mets. 
Like so, we saw, Jay, what was the guy we Jamie, saw? Jamie CD Callahan. Pel- yeah, Pelham this Pel- weekend for Hickory. It's like, oh, it was like 93 to 95 and feel for a slider. Like a better version of that guy because he had some command and some, you know, a sense of sequencing and stuff like that. And he's left-handed, which doesn't hurt. Like every system has these guys. C.D. Pelham found our Twitter conversation about C.D. Pelham and favored it every tweet. Well, it's, they all do that. It's the way it goes. Yeah, I know. That, no, the, Mackenzie I, Mills we, found... We were, uh, we were saying nice thing about yeah. C.D. Pelham, so... Mackenzie Mills found Craig's tweet about him being a loogie and, like, cl- literally clapped back at it by using the clap emoji. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing that but, happens. It's wonderful. You know, yeah, C.D. Pelham is a guy they drafted out of community college. Yeah. And he's, like, 22... And he's like a big, like you know, six five, two thirty, big dude. You know what? His, and he's, this is a this is a bag that's a. Uh, I know exactly where you're going with this. But it reminds like body and delivery. Rob Carson. It reminded me of Rob Carson. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I mean, he's got better command than he does. But you know, Rob Carson pitched in the majors. Right, and you know, but this is a guy that was throwing up the you know pump in ninety five to ninety six, and was already showing like a fifty five slot. And that's a guy that left-handed throwing that stuff. He's going to have a major league career, and he's currently pitching in middle relief in low A because that's how many of these guys there are now. Um, which is literally the point. Everybody has a huge inventory of these guys, but the Mets don't. Right. So they need to go get them. And I think they did a few years ago, and just none of them panned out. And like. The inflation on velocity now is just like like Chase Bradford was this dude, you know John Church, and like now like you're 93 in a slider is 96 in a slider for the most part. Yeah, like you know Jamie Callahan is a failed prep pitch, failed second round prep pitcher that's already found his fallback as a reliever. Yeah, he throws in the mid 90s. He has a slider. His command kind of sucks. There's, you know, 200 of these guys in the minors, but the Mets literally didn't have any of them. Yeah, I mean, like, I guess the... Outside only... of the guys, outside of, the, outside of you know, Hansel Robles, who's yeah. 30 in the majors, and they didn't have any of them in the system. They had no organizational depth for these guys. Right, I mean, like, the guys, the, their hard throwers in the upper minor bullpen right now are Corey Taylor, who's got worse command than any of these guys. Right. And Louis Mateo, who's got worse command than even Corey Taylor. Right. And he, Gerson, Gerson Batista has worse command than any of them, but he also hits 102, so... Yeah. And they don't have any 102 guys. They do not. He's not that like the type bachelor, maybe, but he's lower down. Yeah, and his velocity's not, down that, from where yeah. it used to be. Um, so, you know, they went out and got a bunch of them. And, you know, they're, they're individually, none of them have much of a chance to hit. As a collective, there's a decent chance they're going to get a good enough relief pitcher that in five years people will be shame retweeting, oh, the Mets got nothing for Addison Reed, Lucas, dude. Uh, because they acquired them in enough quantity that there's probably something here. Right, we have a, we're going to weave in some questions as this goes along. This is a Facebook question from Christian. Q for the pod. What do you all think the 2018 bullpen will look like? Outside of Familia, Blevins for now, Ramos, and 
probably Seawald. I have no idea who will be blowing leads next season. I I would expect Jamie Callahan to be up on September 1st, if not earlier. And yeah, I he's pretty he's big, right? He's going to be given every chance to be in this bullpen next year. Because there is, you want to, A, he's pretty much Major League ready. B, you want to showcase the guy you got for Addison Reed as soon as possible. Right. Um, you know, Drew Smith might not be far behind, could be ready by as soon as 2018. You know, Batista and, and Nagosek are a little farther. I assume they will go out and get somebody on the free agent market on a, on a one-year deal. You know, they're not going to be chopping in, like, the Addison Reed, Wade Davis neck of the woods, but... It's somebody on Twitter, and I forget who, and I've had a lot of mentions today, so I'm not scrolling back, <laughs> suggested Jake McGee. I, they're not going to be shopping in that aisle either. You think You think that's too high? I think it might be. Um, Sung Juan Oh, maybe. He's been a little down this year. You might, you might be able to get him on a one-year deal. They poked around a little bit when he's coming over from Korea. Um, you know, there's just there's a lot of these dudes out there. Um, they could go after a good performing non-hard thrower like Nishak or Gregerson. Sure. They have shown some inclination to do that in the past. I think both those guys will get multi-year deals, though, and, like, Alderson's been pretty steadfast. He doesn't want to be in this 2018 reliever free agency class, which is sort of the motivation for all of these moves. You know, Joe Smith is a free agent again. Sure. He's somebody that's been kind of... A lot of the guys that just moved, Brandon Kinsler, Tony Watson... Yeah. Again, maybe a little bit pricier than the Mets are looking for. You know what I could see them doing? And the fans would just absolutely fucking hate this. I could see them going after Oliver Perez as, as the second lefty. I don't know. It's the same front office, man, and that was not a... No, it isn't. ...amicable parting of the ways. Well, it was almost like the first... It was that 2011 spring. No, it was like the 2000... Oh, yeah. Because he, he was the 2010 was where it really went south. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could, Alpha Perez fits. I mean, let's get weird. I'm, I'm actually weirdly, like, all for that. Just for the pure, like, uh. You know, like, the, the lefty lulls. market, the lefty market is especially weak. Yeah. Like, there's actually a fair amount of, like, right-handed, like, late-inning guys floating around. Yeah. Gregerson, Nishak, Wade Davis, um. Uh, Sunglot O, as you just mentioned. K-Rod, if you still count him. Trevor Cahill. So, yeah, Trevor Cahill, Brian Shaw, Joe Smith. Whatever Koji Uohara's got left in at a given time. Swarzak. Yeah. A lot of guys. The left-handed relief market is like Antonio Bastardo, Zach Duke, Jake McGee, Oliver Perez, Zach and Tony Duke's Watson. Zach still pitching in the majors? Yeah. I guess I shouldn't be that surprised. He is left-handed. Which, I guess, is the argument to keep Jerry Blevins, which they did. Yes. Which I think was a pretty big mistake. If you look at what... So, again, it's tough to know. Teams have weird preferences. Not weird preferences, but teams may have different preferences um, than would be revealed just in like a straight looking at 
equal packages, looking at talent. But, like, because we're sniffing around Rene Rivera, and Jerry Blevins and Rene Rivera is not a wildly dissimilar package from Justin Wilson and Alex Avila. And Jaimar Candelario and Isaac Paradis is arguably the best package that anyone got at the deadline. I mean, I think the, the Darvish package is better. Darvish as the Sunny Gray is, one, but yes. I, the Sunny Gray one, I think, is is definitely better. But, I mean, it's it's pretty close. And that's sure, for I mean, it's, a, you know, Paredes. You're a half of a lefty reliever and a really awful defensive catcher that's hitting for the first time in a while again. Um, so you don't know that Wilson, Wilson Contreras and Alex Avila is a really weird catching situation. It is, and Caratini is not any better defensively. So, right, and like you'd want to like have this in the AL so you could like carry a third catcher and DH one of them some of the time, or right. play him. I mean, they'll play they'll play, can, they'll play Contreras Rizzo. in the corner outfield. <sighs> Great, so you're running out like corner outfields of like Contreras, Hap. Schorber? Good lord. I mean, it's probably going to happen at some point. I mean, there's a reason their pitching numbers are all down this year, and it's not actually their pitching. But that's... I mean, so the argument... You know, there were certainly leaks. You know, the Mets are getting really big offers from Jerry Blevins, but just won't listen to them. Assuming that was true, and assuming that they were offers that looked something like... This, you know, you can go find a lefty. Yeah, you can go sign Jake McGee, or you can go sign Tony Watson in the off season. And if you hang, if you hang around long enough, there's a good chance somebody's going to end up taking a cheap contract, much like Jerry Blevins. They have Jerry Blevins in the first place. But they are obsessed with this idea of cost certainty. Which is also why they won't take uh, or pay off, pay down any of these deals. Which is why a lot of people on um, rentals didn't get dealt. So first, we, I think the first guy to address is Esther Cabrera because they really wanted him gone. Yes, I mean clearly they've been leaking stuff about him being a clubhouse cancer, and he's the reason Ahmed Rosario isn't up for weeks. Esther Cabrera. Because you also have to take his, um, if you're acquiring him as a pure rental, yeah. Instead of him only making three million in change for the rest of the season, he's actually making close to six million because you also have to buy out his option. Yep. Which means he costs approximately the same amount as a fifteen million dollar salary guy would. Yeah. About the same as Curtis Granderson. Yeah. That's really goddamn expensive for Estrubal Cabrera. Yeah, there's a reason Granderson didn't move either. But there's there's the second part of that, which is that the Mets, and they may be the only team in baseball or one of only a few teams in baseball that views it this way, but they absolutely do, they think that option here is positive value. So they're not going to help you pay that down. Right. You know, Curtis Granderson, I think they might have been willing to pay down. There were rumblings that that would get done. There's very little urgency for that to get done because Granderson's going to make it either very far through waivers or all the way through. Yeah. And, like, the the Brewers, who is the team he was most prominently linked to, might want the extra two weeks of information on where they actually are before they make a deal like that. 
also possible. You know, another team that he could potentially go, other teams he could potentially go to, like the Dodgers or the Astros, are more acquiring him for postseason bench purposes than they are, or postseason platoon purposes than they are acquiring him for the rest of the season. So right. again, you don't have to make those decisions until August 31st. But Estrubal Cabrera is like hiddenly a way more expensive player for financially for anybody to acquire than it looks like at first glance. So you have to find somebody that wants Estrubal Cabrera for both seasons. And this isn't really the time that teams are looking to lock in like a roll five kind of expensive kind of old dude who's not who's causing all kinds of clubhouse problems publicly. Right. In for, you know, eight and a half million next year. And it's if you're a playoff team or a playoff contender, it's not necessarily a influence you want either. All right. A guy that's going to freak out and bitch if he's not in the lineup six days a week and if he's not playing the exact position he wants to and not hitting in the exact lineup spot he wants to. But, you know, there there just aren't a lot of teams that want to lock in like a second or third baseman for next year at 8-5 that's of that quality and that age. Like, people will end up paying that for their fifth infielder, but they don't want to lock that in right now either. And they very well could pick up his option and trade him. Yep. And they might even get more doing that than they would have now. I guess, do you want to work in? The, we had an email about this from Tom Moore. Uh, yes, I think that's where I was going to work this in. I have to pull it up, though. I got it. Right, it's, that's it's, fine. Let's see if I was signed at 153, just to... Yeah, for context, yes. It's two hours to the deadline right now, and apparently one of the big hang-ups to getting Astrid Cabrera off the roster is that the Mets don't want to pick up his salary. I understand the Wilpons and their financial idiosyncrasies, and I get that in the case of someone like Reed, who you can move anyway, although even though I'd prefer they kick it in cash and get a better return. But in this case, unless you're convinced that the other teams are just bluffing, you're stuck paying him anyway. Either you pay out the contract and trade him, Freeing space for Rosario and bringing back something, anything of value, or you pay out the contract and don't trade him and you keep her out a guy where you were allegedly concerned about having Rosario around. How is this a decision? I mean, they weren't really concerned about having Rosario around him, clearly, but they needed a reason to keep him down for a couple more weeks, so. That's a possibility. Um, um, I mean, so, other teams do this. The Twins basically paid all of Jamie Garcia's salary to get Dietrich Enns and. Lack I, I will say that it's the most Twins move ever to trade a, essentially flip a hard-throwing teenager with command issues for two polished command and control guys. Oh, yeah, I mean... It's like very Twins. And, you know, both those guys could fit in the rotation for the next five years, so right. who the hell else? Um, but yeah, so it's like... No, the two and a half million that Reed was due the rest of the year was in no way going to be an impediment for the Boston Red Sox. But you offer you somebody a free Addison Reed. There's you know teams like that, and teams are less willing to take on money at the deadline. Note that it was the Yankees, yes. the Yankees, who wanted Garcia's salary. 
And the Yankees desperately need a back-end starter better than Luis Sessa or Caleb Adams or... Well, I mean, they got Sonny Gray. Too. They also so they might have got Sonny actually, Gray, but yes. They're actually overloaded now, but... But yeah, this kind of stuff does matter. And if, look, if they were willing to take on $5 million of whatever Jay Bruce or Curtis Granderson have left, that would go a long way. That's about the totality of... Yeah. Like, you know, teams that are going to use those guys as platoon or corner bench bats or something like that, like, don't want to pay the rest of their salary. This ties back to something that I've harped on over the last few weeks is that most teams that are going to be in the market for bats at the deadline aren't going to trade for these kind of guys as starters because they and have starters of that quality or better. I think that would be okay in Curtis Granderson's case, one, because he's kind of fallen out of a starting role here, but two, because he's at the end of his career and he's, you know, you know maybe openly talking about retirement. I don't think if you trade for Jay Bruce to play him three days a week, that Jay Bruce is going to be very happy. This was an issue last year with the Mets. This was an issue last year with the Mets when he was playing a lot more than three days a week. Um, he was upset about being dropped in the lineup. He was upset about any days off. And he was going to the meeting and complaining about it. So, you know, what team had a full-time... 100% roll left for Jay Bruce. I don't know. Yeah, the Diamondbacks, I guess. Yeah, before the J.D. Martinez trade, but oh, so you're going to take J.D. Martinez there. All right. Like, there's no clear landing spot for these guys. So as we put another deadline in the books, the Mets were supposed to be more or less hard sellers. So let's look at where they're restocked, in quotes. Minor league system stands right now, Jarrett, because you had a nice little rant about this. It's basically, you know, the Mets for hard sellers maybe slightly improved, maybe slightly declined, but this is the same quality farm system they came in with. Right. Because they, 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 tra- they traded away a guy that's probably a better prospect than anybody they traded for. They did trade for a greater bulk of them, but, they, you know, Ricardo Cespedes is... If you go shopping around Ricardo Cespedes in a prospect-for-prospect prospect trade, you can probably get Gerson Batista for him. Sure. It's kind of the same profile. It's just one's a pitcher and one's a hitter. It's about the same value. Like, they didn't, you know... They got guys that maybe rank at the very bottom of the top 30. Yeah. You know, maybe, I mean, maybe maybe Drew Smith is a little higher. Maybe. Yeah, I, don't, I haven't really thought about it now. But assuming... The bottom 30 of a bad system, too. A bad system. Let's assume... I don't know if this is actually going to happen. Let's assume Rosario, Smith, and Flexen all graduate. Sure. You know, Andres Jimenez is your number one prospect in the system at that point. Borderline top 101 guy. After that, it's guys like David Peterson, who hasn't thrown a professional pitch yet. 
Desmond Lindsay, who has issues staying on the field, is going to miss the rest of the season with a ulnar nerve transplant surgery. Thomas Zapucky, who Tommy John will miss all of 2018. Justin Dunn, who's been inconsistent at best this year. Boy, that's a nice way to sugarcoat it. Inconsistent at best, yeah. Um, I have wildly variant reports depending on what day you've seen him. Uh, Mark Vientos, who's 17 and in the Gulf Coast League and is a long-term project. You know, Jordan Humphreys, who also has a mysterious elbow issue that I've been told is not Tommy John, and he'll just miss a couple starts, sells and throw in a pitch in a few weeks. They also told us Tommy Zipaki wasn't Tommy John either. Uh, Tomas Nito, who is a catcher, and catchers are weird, and I also have questions about his hit tool. And then it's like, have I even named 10 guys yet? I don't think I have. So we're talking about guys like Luigi Orme and Harold Gonzalez, you know, Ronnie Mauricio at this point. Who they give to we one, just, two. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, your guess is as good as mine on Ronnie Mauricio. We'll find out in like two years. There's a handful of pop-up guys uh, in short season, you know, but we could basically, this time next year, talking about Christian James like Miranda Gonzalez, and that's nice. You know, you usually spit out guys on that level. By, not by pure luck, but just through the normal course of doing business every year. They're not necessarily impact major like where are the impact major league players here? Yeah. I mean, Andres Simonez has a chance to be. Sure, but you know, I've gotten Rosario's up and is going to lose his eligibility. It right. sure looks so like, like Tom Smith is going to be up early enough to lose his eligibility. So, I mean, you still have guys, obviously you have guys like Rosario, Smith, and Conforto that are the theoretically the offensive backbone of your next contender. You know, the graduations are not bad in and of themselves, but... but I mean, you're talking about a team that might have <laughs> one prospect make the one-on-one in a thin system. Right. It's better than, like, the Angels a couple of years ago. It's better than the Marlins now. But, you know, this is a team that realistically could rank 27th or 28th in our org rankings, depending on graduations. Yeah, and I mean, it's getting, I think it gets... Greater com- information. It's, see, it's like it's a 27th or 28th quality system. I think it, that gets obscured a bit by the fact that there's, like, five super systems right now and just five terrible systems let's also note that two of the super systems are the two richest teams in baseball that have super systems while they're contending yes that's bad it is that's that that shows you that's that why whatever they, you know, the dodgers were able to go out and get you darvish and a million other relief options and the yankees were able to go out and get sunny gray without I mean, they traded significant pieces, but the Yankee system still has Chance Adams and Justice Sheffield and Glaber Torres and Estevan Florial. You know, you can argue that Willie Calhoun was not one of the five or six best prospects in the Dodgers system. You could make that argument, yes. You could get him as high as maybe third or fourth. You could, yes. But certainly behind Bueller and Verdugo. Yep. You know, Yadier Alvarez, maybe, you know, Mitchoit, maybe, Jern Kendall, maybe. But, and that's the return for you, Darvish. And another thing that, you know, I think gets missed in the thing is, 
when you rent a guy like you, Darvis, it's like a, a singular individual asset that there's only one of out there. You are not just renting you, Darvis. You are renting a window to resign you, Darvis. Yeah, and the Dodgers and can certainly do that. Do. Yeah, and some of these guys signed before hitting the market. Yohannes Cespedes is an example of that. Yes, Cespedes the second time. Um, well, like both, Piazza's both times, really. Well, he resigned with the team, but he didn't resign within his window. Right, right. Yeah. You know, Mike Piazza resigned within the window. Mike Piazza decided not to free agency. Um. CC Sabathia decided not to free agency on right. one of his ones. Like, th- these things do happen. You can also, you know, like, sort of lay the, even if you're not going to get him in the window, you can lay the, lay the groundwork with, you know, come back to us with your best offer kind of thing. And that's, you know, also where Texas is not just trading, you know, the majority of their 10 or 15% chance at a wild card. They're not just trading away that compensation pick. They're trading away the opportunity to re-sign Darvis. Now, maybe they know they know that they can't come to a deal by this point. Yeah. But, you know, things change. Uh, I, I will say, you know, and going back, this is like a, I don't want to say I told you so, but there was definitely a contingent of the Met fandom that was, like, outright happy that they were falling into being hard sellers. And that they were going to get great things back and restock the farm. I got a lot of Michael Chavez questions this week. Yeah. A lot of, you know, great things were going to happen here with with the Mets because this fell out. And they were going to have some of the best rental pieces on the market. And they were going to have some of the best bigger deal pieces on the market, too. And as it turned out, they got fuck all. I mean, if they'd gone out and dealt Jacob DeGrom, you know, you look at the teams that really made hay at the, in the window. You know, the White Sox, again, made huge additions to their farm system. But by the same token, you look at the White Sox, you're like, yeah, they were able to do this, but they weren't able to win anything with Sale and Katana there for years. And, you know, if you go back and listen to our podcast, every time the trade deadline came up, we were telling you this was going to happen. Because everything we were hearing was that it was an extreme buyer's market, except on guys that were controlled cheaply for multiple years. Like, the rental market was dead. You know, so your Quintana's and your Justin Wilson's. And, you know, they chose to only sell the rentals. They didn't even get all of the rentals sold. And they got back and they prioritized something that basically ensured that their returns would be terrible. Not great. Not great, Bob. Certainly, I think if you were somebody that really was excited about this trade deadline and really was excited about the opportunity to rebuild, I think this is a harsh wake-up call on that front. Yeah, we go back. We go into you know 2018. Still needing to add bullpen help. Still needing a infielder or two. Theoretically, there need at least one starting pitcher. <laughs> yeah, maybe more. So you know you're going out and spending forty million dollars on Jeremy Hellickson. 
You know, you want to go out and spend $50 million rolling the dice on Alex Cobb? So it's not a great free agent market unless you're willing to spend some money. I think my favorite argument of the – my favorite Mets Twitter argument of the weekend was that Alderson was a genius for taking Ramos off the market because that would uh, reduce the supply of proven closers for contenders. What really happened was A.J. Ramos getting traded for that little was an indica- indication of how bad the market was for relievers. Yeah, I mean, a lot of relievers went for just not much. Like, you look at the, you know, the Joe Smith rental return, it was nothing. You know, the, uh... Tony Watson got traded for, like, a six-foot-six third baseman in A-ball. Yeah, Tony Watson got rented out for O'Neal Cruz, who's, like... He's really fun as a prospect watcher. I don't know if I'd want him in my system. Yeah, Tony Cruz and an A-ball reliever who took forever to make it out of the complex leagues. You know, Justin Wilson got traded for a lot. Um, you know, Anthony Swarzak went for Ryan Cordell. I like Ryan Cordell. Sure. But, you know... Tony Singrani went for Scott Vince. Like, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's like a real what the fuck. Yeah. I thought there was a prospect yeah. in there, too. Oh, it's the catcher. Oh, it's, catcher it's, the, it's in, the catcher from Curacao that's in his fourth season and hasn't made out rookie ball yet. Yeah. And, yeah. I know Tony Singrani hasn't been great this year. Right. Or really any time recently, but he's better than that, I think. Maybe he's not. A pet Nisek, who is having, once again, one of the best seasons in baseball and has been a reliable top right-handed reliever for, you know, I don't know, half, half a decade now, maybe more. Yeah, and like the read, the read deal is very much in line for what Nishak brought back. You know, he was. You know, they they didn't get a whole lot there either. You know, got a couple of guys with cool names, but he did. You just you kind of look at what all happened here, and it just you know. Brandon Brandon Kinsler went for Tyler Watson in an international slot. I've seen Tyler Watson. They're they're I mean he's okay. He's like the he's like the mid bust version of Jamie Callahan. <laughs> so for like the idea that like you know, everybody was going to get, like, these awesome reliever, awesome prospects for their relievers. You know, Brad Hand didn't go. Zach Britton didn't go. Um, Brett Brock didn't go. Guys that were being heavily heavily rumored to be traded just stayed put because, obviously, the market wasn't there for them. Um, 
which again is maybe the argument that maybe there wasn't a trade out there for Dory Blevins. I just, you know, I think that's something that they sort of explored more seriously than it appears that they did. One guy there was a market for is Sonny Gray. So this is a weird, weird, it's a weird, weird trade. trade. So I think by the end of last week, it seemed like that the A's were leaking that basically they were okay with Estevan Florial. I had with like the we on, like him, we like him more than Clint Frazier quotes, and everybody on, likes I, everyone more than Clint Frazier apparently. I, I I think I had mentioned this to you, but on Saturday. I had heard that the package was Mateo, Caprellian, and Esteban Florio. Yeah, I think you said that. Because um, Caprellian was not a name that was out there, but was a name that I would heard was in the deal. Um, and somehow that became Mateo, Caprellian, and Dustin Fowler? Hey, Jeff Passan Scout says that... Uh... Dustin I really until until Jeff Passan started tweeting stuff about Dustin Fowler, I like really thought I was the high guy on Dustin Fowler, and sure. apparently I'm not. And like, I, re- I really like Dustin Fowler. Dustin Fowler tore his patella tendon. There's like a chance Dustin Fowler's never going to play in the majors again because of this. And a lot of Dustin, that was a really bad injury. And a lot of Dustin Fowler's major league value, major league profile is on is his tied legs. Up, yeah, it's tied up in speed and center field glove. Not even Starfield Glove because he's not great out there. It's more ability to stand there. Correct. He cannot lose a half a grade of defense. He will be a corner outfielder if he does. Yeah. And he cannot lose a half a grade of speed because if he loses a half a grade of speed, he's going to lose a half a grade of defense. And even if he comes back more or less as Dustin Fowler, it's not huge upside. I think you would still rather have Esteban Florial, although it's close. Yeah. Uh, you know, Capri- I could, you know, but Fowler, had he been down and healthy, was... Sorry, Fowler was in consideration for early drafts of our top 50, but Florial was in consideration the entire way. So we basically, at the midseason point, before Fowler got hurt, would have ranked them pretty much in the same kind of area. Probably... Yeah, 70 to 100, somewhere in there. Maybe even a little higher. Maybe. Um, I just stopped thinking about it once I hit 50, to be honest. It makes it easier that way, but yeah. Right, but but Florial was on, like, the next 15 or 20 guys list, and yeah. Fowler was... Uh, and Fowler, before he got called up, was also on that, on those iterations of those lists. Right. Um, so, so this is, you know, but one guy like had one of the most gruesome the injuries you're ever going to see on a baseball field and that does matter yeah and another guy's only thrown 29 professional innings in three seasons and is a specific thing because he had no history of elbow problems until he started throwing harder and throwing harder was what got him higher on the prospect mat right now this was also a concern with walker bueller and when walker bueller came back the velocity was still there right we don't know with caprellian yet obviously because we don't know with caprellian He's not this gonna... is a trade. This is a trade that by April first next year could look really bad. Yeah. Or it's a trade that by April first next year you could be looking at three guys on the top one in the top one hundred prospects in baseball. Yep. But even so, I think or if you're we trading, or we did do like a May first update or whatever. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't. Do... Well, we probably shouldn't promise that. Uh... I will quit. <laughs> 
if Craig even broaches the subject with me. Um, but yeah, I think if you're trading Sonny Gray, who, like, look, Sonny Gray is, we're gonna have, we can have the conversation. Sonny Gray is not an ace. Sonny Gray is probably a number two. I, w- I would call Sonny Gray a number two. It's a cost controlled number two. That's incredibly value. Two and a half years. Yep. Basically, you know, Jose Quintana, I guess you get a little more control, but. A little more control and a little bit better. Yeah. But he returned a much better package. He did. You can argue that Dylan Cease is better than anybody in this package. You can make that argument. I'm not sure I wouldn't make that argument, actually. I'm not sure I could, but it's certainly a viable one. Right. And there's certainly no Eloy Jimenez. No matter what you want to say about overvaluing corner outfielders, there is no Eloy Jimenez here. You know, you, you want to call Eloy Jimenez the 25th best prospect in baseball because you think we're all overvaluing corner bats. Great. He's still way ahead of any of these guys. Yep. Um, and I, you know, essentially they managed to sell really high on Jorge Mateo doing the John Sickles splits thing where his splits got really noticeable because he got promoted in the middle of them. So, like, it, was, it became really obvious that he was on a hot streak, whereas had he just went on this high streak at high A Tampa, like, you know, Steve would have found it in a minor league update and nobody else would have noticed. Yep. And his seasonal line... Would look better. What is his seasonal line right now? His seasonal line would look what it looks like instead of being split... It seems the line would be what it really is, which is 258, 318, 438, which is nothing to write home about. Yeah. Instead of having this great split where he hit 300 with some power at double A. So it's like you sold high on the vagaries of the baseball reference page and how we calculate splits. And how we calculate the split that shows up there instead of the split that shows up on the second page. Yeah. You know, the Yankees have been shy about telling you that they're not a huge fan of Jorge Mateo's makeup either, which is something that almost never happens. And Billy Bean, to his credit, went out there and said, hey, we might just value Caprellian and Mateo way more than anybody else. Which, again, it does come down to... They were apparently hot as hell for Caprellian since he was at UCLA. Individual teams have their own preference. They've been trying to trade for Jorge Mateo for years. And it's just, I think that deal's still there in the offseason, and you can get a better package, though. It appears that Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan have joined Titus Brand. I don't know if this is just a temporary thing or not. So, yeah. Anyway. Raw. Yeah. So that was it. The deadline was over. And then Ken Rosenthal of Facebook. Ken Rosenthal of Facebook.com at like 420. <laughs> after multiple, you Darvish has not been traded, which included you Darvish taking a picture of himself in a Texas hat in front of his locker. Yes. To announce that he had not been traded. Oh, yeah. So, I, you know, nobody's done a TikTok, but I, I've kind of put some different stuff together and some things I heard. My understanding of what happened here was that this was essentially the standing offer that the Dodgers had, yeah. that negotiations were really dead, 
and that John Daniels like called it in at like three fifty nine fifty, just like out of the blue. Still available. Yep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, um, that's pretty much what happened here. That they decided at the last second, and maybe, I'm sure in consultation with their ownership and their manager, that the you know twelve percent shot at facing you know. <laughs> Chris Sale or Sonny Gray in the wild card game um, was not worth, and you know maybe they they got down on resigning Darvish, and that the difference between you know Willie Calhoun and two second round prep guys, who I'm sure were the prep guys that they asked for from the Dodgers. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the Dodgers had a long list of guys they would have given up, but the, these were the two guys they wanted, plus Willie Calhoun was uh, better than the qualifying offer, yeah. Was better than, you know, I, I think they would have gotten a compensation around the Yeah, it's it pretty safe. It's like, I mean, the compensation rules are so freaking convoluted now. But, you know, that, that's better than, like, the 70th pick, pick, best pick in the draft. And, you know what? They're probably not wrong. Yeah. I, I asked this question genuinely on Twitter because I, you know, it's an interesting thought question. And if you really value making the playoffs, and if perhaps you think the Rangers are a team that's better than the record, you could go the other way. But nobody made the argument to me on Twitter, which I was a little surprised about. Um, Willie Calhoun's a very divisive prospect. Yeah. I mean, he can really hit. Now, again, we keep talking about the midseason process because this is the last time we've, like, talked about all these guys as, like, a prospect team. We got some really strong Willie Calhoun support, both yeah. on staff and off staff. There are people that love Willie Calhoun. I mean, we I know we had this conversation last year during this season where basically it came down to... Like well, he was a guy. He was a guy that was a contention for the last right. couple spots on the one hundred and one last year. Too. And I, I, what I know, one of the sort of the thought exercises we did. Well, if you were sure Willie Calhoun was like a forty-five defender at second, where would you put him? And I think we all agreed it'd be like, oh yeah, he's slam dunk top one hundred. Some people even went as high as top fifty. Yeah, but you know the Dodgers were already playing him some in left field. I had a conversation, like, Craig's not going to care if I out this. You know, I had a conversation with Craig last night about specifically Willie Calhoun because, you know, he was a name that had come up if perhaps the Mets packaged, like, Addison Reed and Jerry Blevins out to the Dodgers or something like that. Um, he was a name that you could have seen go in that kind of deal. And Craig was convinced they couldn't play the outfield either. I mean, his best position is DH. But here's the thing. Is it his best position as DH in the same way that people have been saying that about Daniel Murphy for 10 years? Or is it his best position as DH in that he's got to be a DH? Right. Because there's a huge difference. There, there is, yeah. And even if not from like a strict, you know, add up the war components uh, sense, there is from just a, you know, building a roster sense. Yeah, so, I mean, that's, and I think I, I think we probably represent, you know, the middle ground where we'd probably say Willie Calhoun is something like the 60th best prospect in baseball. Um, 
there are people that will put him higher than that. There are people that put him lower. It's a light return for a guy as good as Darvis. Yeah. And, and it, it's, it speaks to sort of where the rental market was generally, I think. So there's there's two things I want to bring up here. Yes. There are two teams that are essentially no competition for their playoff spot. The Astros and the Dodgers. Correct. They took very, very, very different approaches to that line. Yes. And these are two teams that are also supposed to be in similar sabermetric veins. Yeah. Although I would actually argue that they're not even close. And this is part of why. The Dodgers went absolutely fucking nuts at the deadline. They did. And they went nuts with guys that specifically are pieces that they're clearly aiming to beat the Cubs in the NLDS. You know, to beat Team X in the NLCS, to beat Team Y in the World Series. The Astros system is fine, but it also isn't nearly as deep as the Dodgers is. So they could make more of these. You know, they could go out and get Darvish. The uh, Astros could have put together a similar package for Darvish. And, you know, Lance McCullers just went back on the DL. They need, you know, you could certainly argue they need another starter, maybe even worse than the Dodgers did. But I also think that the Astros are essentially adherent to the old Billy Bean, my shit doesn't work in the playoffs. Yeah. And that they're not going to make a move. They're not going to give up future value to not get back regular season value. Right. That's why we talked I mean, about them being traded in on a... Pe- they traded Teoscar Hernandez for yeah. Francisco Luriano. Like, who cares? Is anybody still pretending Teoscar Hernandez is like a guy and not a guy they had to get off their 40? I don't know. I mean, he's fine. He's whatever. Yeah, he's fine. But he's he's like a fourth outfielder on a team that has a lot of better outfielders and is going to run, start running into 40-man problems. Yes. Which is exactly the kind of guy you trade here. Right? Yeah. But, you know, it, they they could have went out and gotten big bullpen pieces to help a bullpen that is good but not particularly great. I mean, they could. They basically could use the same, you know, two extra relievers that the Dodgers went and got. Right, a reliever like of that type. Yeah. And it's funny because until the last ten minutes before and fifteen minutes after the deadline, it did not look like the Dodgers were actually doing this. Sure didn't. To the point that the narrative for a lot of the day was. Are the Dodgers players going to be dispirited that the Cubs went out and bought and the Dodgers stood pat? Ignoring that the Dodgers are already standing pat on a 115-win pace. Like, this is a team that could actually win 120 games now. It's in play. Not likely, but in play. And is is there part of this... That you Darvish has not exactly been you Darvish exclamation point since his return from Tommy John surgery. I guess. I mean, he's been good. I mean, there's some recency bias there. He's been particularly shaky lately. But like in the same way that people argue that Sonny Gray is not really as good as he looks, like is you Darvish actually better, consistent that considerably better than Sonny Gray? 
Like, I feel like if you're saying, okay, give me a guy for game two of the NLCS, you're taking you Darvish without even a second thought. But, like, if you actually hammer it down, I don't know. Yeah, bigger strikeout guy, I don't know. Because, like, there's definitely the you Darvish exclamation point. Like, I think if we started playing the ace game, like, a lot of people would just say you Darvish is an ace. But... He's also pitching a much you know, tougher... Sure. Offensive environment than Gray has. You know, but he hasn't... He's been a worse pitcher since he came back from Tommy John. That could just be noise. Yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of contract do we think you, Darvish, is a 31-year-old free agent gets in the offseason? Somebody asked me this at work, of all places. I think I said, like, 5-120. That seems low. It does seem low, but... Like, that seems really low. Like, that seems like, well, like, the Mets should be signing him to that contract. Like, the Mets might even sign him to that contract. But then you look at the, you know, you look at the player page, and maybe he doesn't actually deserve much more than that? I don't know. Again, because he's you Darvish exclamation point. Now, if you look at his DRAs, his DRAs are considerably better for the last couple of years than his ERAs. Although still not as good as they were before the surgery. So. Do we have anything else for the first segment? I think that's it. That's all I have on my agenda, at least. I don't know how we're going to break this up, because we don't have a guest. Just do two segments? We may just do two segments. I guess it's time for the second half of the show. Before we do the second half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there, episode 65. For all you kids out there, is the official podcast of your baseball prospectus Mets local site. You can find us on the internet at mets.local.baseballprospectus.com or at the mothership at baseballprospectus.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for for all you kids out there. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. If you want to get in contact with the show, we're on Twitter at for all you kids. Jarrett's on Twitter at JA Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash for all you kids out there. And you can email the show at all you kids at baseballperspectus.com. I guess I have a few things to plug this week. I know I thought about it. I was on the DFA podcast, the live show they did around the trade deadline this afternoon. I think that's up on iTunes now, too. If you want to listen to that, I said mostly the same things I said on this show, but managed to keep it to 15 minutes. And essentially everybody on there, I think, has been a guest of the podcast at some point or another. Yeah, more or less. Have we ever had RJ on? We should have RJ on if we haven't. We have not had RJ on. We haven't had Dubuque on either. We have? I thought we had Dubuque on once. I don't think we had Dubuque on. But it's the usual, it's like Craig, Kate. Yeah. It's the usual cast. Emma. Yeah. I'll be on, uh, I think my... On baseball writing with Dave Crosby coming up this week now. Didn't you record that like a month ago? No, it was only a couple weeks. He was out of town for a bit. and I know it was recorded right after Tabitha Sorens, and that was the last one to go up, so. 
Uh-huh. Which is cool for me, because I had a huge crush on Tabitha Soren when I was, like, 15. Cool. Uh, and then I'm doing the Good Fight podcast this week. God bless. Is a 2007 playoff race retrospective. I don't know why you're doing this. I, yourself. Mike Giannella sent me an email, and I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Why not? It'll be fun. I have stories, man. I'm guessing Sixto Sanchez might come up in that podcast, though. I mean, it's it, he was like, what, in 2007, nine, nine years old? Yeah. Do yeah. you want to talk a little bit about Sixto before we go on to the emails? We will also be at Saber Seminar on Friday night through Sunday. Yeah, we'll be if around. Come find us if you're in Boston. Come say hello. Um, yeah, so we were at the Hickory Lakewood series, which comprises most of the 10-pack this week. Let me tell you, that was like, I guess Charleston would be in this conversation too, but I haven't seen Charleston. And those were two loaded A-ball teams. It's been good during the cell. Yeah. That's why I keep going down there. Yeah, and it's why I've been there and have not been in Trenton very much. It's like I was, like I had Trenton trips plotted out to like get Jorge Mateo coverage and now like, not so much anymore. So Trenton's going to make the EL playoffs, so I'll at least get out there when that happens. But I'm, I'm sure I'll get another series or two out there. But it's just been like, it, it's been, they've also been home a lot at the same time as Lakewood and, it's hard to like justify going to a Jeffrey Ramirez start when you go to an Adonis Medina start. Although Jeffrey Ramirez got traded too for an international signing bonus slot. Yeah, the Yankees made a couple of that move. I wonder if they're trying to match the Rangers Shohei Otani slash fun. They're apparently they're apparently um, specifically connected with a couple guys that are get, going in the pool late. Okay, that makes sense. I saw that floated around somewhere or another. Yeah, I mean, six, six only touched 100 a couple of times, right? I think twice, yeah. Once on my gun and once on the Hickory yeah. Charters gun. But yeah, it was like 96 to 99. Yeah, um... It was like almost a little... Like, I don't want to say it was disappointing, but it was just like... He was... He looked for, He looked like he was cruising. He was just, yeah, like eight pitch innings, jam guys, pop-up, he did, lead contact. He did strike out... A, he did strike out Leone Tavares with, like, the tying run on second and, like, fist-pumped at one point. It was, and it was, like, the best change-up I've seen from him, and he's thrown some pretty good change-ups. Alright. There's also, like, two distinct change-ups. There which, are. I don't know if one of them's technically a splitter. I have no idea, man. Yeah, um... Whatever that one was, that was a seven. <laughs> you yeah, should just was... throw that one. And, and that was, like, one that was, like, in between. Yeah, it was, like, right in the middle of the velocity band. But, uh, yeah, and he flashed a really good curve, too. And it's just the fact, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's great. You know, it's, it's easy velocity. He's very athletic. There may have been some, uh aggressive comps in the scout section. I can say that. <laughs> Just leave it at that. No. There are also some visiting dignitaries, which will also <laughs> just leave it at that. Um, all there were... The, the scout section itself was actually pretty empty because nobody really needed coverage of either of these two teams' minor leagues for trade purposes. Yeah. Um, which was... 
in stark contrast to most of Sixto's recent starts. Um, I assume now that we're past the trade deadline that people will be coming back out to, um, in case, like, the Phillies try to trade for, I don't, like, Trout or somebody like that. Uh, but Hickory was actually, and we've seen all the Lakewood guys at this point, but Hickory was actually pretty... Well, this was your first look at Archimedes Gamboa this year. It was. He's a little down from what I saw last year, both defensively and offensively. Uh, yeah. He's been hurt some this year, so I don't know how much I want to kill him. Daniel Brito looks like a guy that's in the last week in July of his first full season of baseball. And he's not the, you know... It's not the biggest frame, most durable frame either. He's a slim dude. Um, have you decided whether you're writing about Mickey Moniak yet or not? I'm writing about Mickey Moniak this week. Get your helmets on, people. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Would, would you like to go through some of your thought process on Mickey Moniak? Well, I, I don't want to like give away my article topic for this week, which you sure, actually came up with and was a, a sure. very good way to frame it. <sighs> he does not look like the first overall pick right now. Yeah. Um, it was probably a, a nice way of saying it. This um, is not... So, I've seen eight games of Mickey Moniac now, I think. Eight or nine. Nine might be nine. You've seen significantly more than that, and for the most part, agree with me. Um, You're being very quiet. I was actually responding to a message. Um, sorry about that. Um, I mean, I have stronger feelings in some areas and less strong feelings okay. in other areas. I'm I think ba- is on balance. Yeah, on balance, I think we're relatively at the same place. I think yeah. I'm, I think I'm a little more optimistic for his future projection, but even more worried about what he's looking like now. Fair enough. Um, um, so, in those nine games plus multiple batting practice looks and outfield drill looks, um, at no point in time did I have a reaction watching him close to what it was when Leody Tavares took his first swing in the on-deck circle of the first game of this mm-hmm. series. And it's like a stupid scouty thing in a lot of ways. But yeah. man, it's just... It, like, it's, the problem is like, there's... so yeah, if, you, if you're a 1-1 one, one prep outfielder, really even a high first-round pick as a prep outfielder, you expect it to pop in a certain way. You expect to see high-end bat speed. Um, you know, you big, expect... fast twitch to athletic tools. Right. Um, you know, I... Oh, God, I went through this, and now I have to remember the names. Like, the prep outfielders that went 1-1 in the current form of the draft are Ken Griffey Jr., Josh Hamilton, Delman Young, and Mickey Moniak. Yeah. Which are, like... I, I know Delman got fat later on, but at the time of the draft, huge athletic dude. At the time of the draft, Ken, you know, Ken Griffey's Ken Griffey and Josh Hamilton's. Yeah. Yeah, it's like there's no... And this is, you know, I don't... 
I don't. Mickey Moniak's like six one, one eighty. Yeah, sure. You know, six six foot, one eighty five. He's not. He's a well put together kid. Yeah. He's the type. He's the type of outfielder that you see get drafted like twelfth overall all the time. And that was where a decent amount of people had him until a couple of weeks before the draft, when all of a sudden, wow, the Phillies are thinking about taking him. Let's move him up our draft rankings. They must know something we don't, because that's really how some of this shit gets done. Sorry to you know burst everybody's bubble. I just you know it's. After, I don't get nine game looks at most guys in the course of a year. I mean, I'm up to like 20. Yeah, so. I just don't. I don't. It, it's, you know, as part of my job, I got to travel a lot. I got to hit. I got to cherry pick. I got a big game hunt. You know, you, you come down to Lakewood more now than you used to because you can sleep on my couch, basically. Yeah, that helps. And also, it's a loaded Sally League. It's it's a loaded Sally League. You can sleep on my couch. We can do stuff in between games. Yeah. Um, but... You know, you, I usually don't get that long looks at prospects of significance because they get promoted you know out. Yeah, they get promoted out. Like I was, I was all excited to get like 10 or 12 Libra Torres looks this year. I think I got five, four or something like that. Yeah. I think I wrote an article that was like five nights in Trenton with Libra Torres, but one of them, he got scratched. You know, I, I, did I expect Mickey Moniak to be here the entire year? I mean, I wrote on April 12th after seeing him for the third time that I did, but I didn't on March 15th. Yeah, but it's not like, yeah. I don't think the fact that he's spending the whole year there is necessarily uh, the main issue here. No, but it's representative of that he's just... You know, we, we can go through the... If you don't want to talk that's, about that's them exactly, you know, he pulls off the ball. Yeah. The... He doesn't have good spin recognition. He can't catch he gets up to Velo away. Spot, he gets beat by good velocity, high and high and or away. Yeah, it's up and in, up and away velocity, down and in spin. I mean, if you try to get he in his kitchen, he he's very good he at keeping it. He can't recognize off lefties specifically. Yeah. If you get in his kitchen, he's actually very good at keeping his hands in and doing some damage there. Um, I know this was a topic of conversation in the offseason when you wrote him up worse defensively than other people. He is nowhere near as good as advertised on defense. No, it's a below average arm. It's below average arm, and I think it might even be average or below average field and center. I think I like his glove and center a little more than you, but not significantly so. Right, but I've, just, the, the I've, seen, I've seen I, him make some boner plays. I can say all this, and this jumps off sort of what I wrote in my Matt Manning piece. Uh, and I wrote, I wrote it, I wrote a twelve hundred word piece about all this stuff with Moniac a couple months ago. Yeah, it's just if I don't trust my looks at this point, what the fuck am I doing here? Right. It's just like I, now, got, I got to write it. I just have to write it at this point, and my ads are going to be my ads. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna always temper that with, well, they drafted him first overall, and it's a front office generally filled with people who are smarter than I am. Why did they do that? Yeah. So he's so he start looking at what can he do? Yeah, he's got good barrel control. Yeah, great barrel control. He's got great good enough barrel control. He fooled everybody into thinking he was a future seven hitter. <laughs> but it's like we say he struggles with velocity up and away and spin down. There's not a ton of swing and miss. There's just bad contact, and that comes in with the pitch record There's issues too. More swing and there miss. Is, especially this, I mean, especially this look like was not good. Yeah. In low a, like it, that's not good. 
I don't know exactly what. It's got 84 strikeouts and 396 plate appearances. Uh, you know, weird, hit tool driven. Striking out 21 percent of the time in low A. That's bad. That's kind of bad. It's not ideal. It's not what you want. Now he's just to set up a baseline. He's hitting 258, 312, 369, which is a bit worse than league average. It's not like horrible. Um, again, the back control is basically keeping him alive at this point because he's making a lot of like medium soft contact. It's like copping 20 times and going for a hit or like flaring into left center. And that's good. That's good that he's able yeah, to do he, that even when really struggling. And you'd think he'll there's enough projectability in the frame where he has some more physical strength and maybe a little more authoritative with some of that contact. I've seen him take batting practice a few times, and there ain't a lot of raw there right now. It's like maybe 45, maybe five. Yeah, it's not what it's not what you'd expect from a first overall pick high school hitter. You would expect. Seven raw for that guy. Or you'd expect huge athletic defensive tools, and he's a plus runner, but... Or you'd expect an actual seven hit tool. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but guys with future seven hit tools usually don't hit 258 in salary. Yeah. I don't, don't stop the stat line, but, you know, there, there's, you know... Guys with, you know... <laughs> Raymel Tapia did not get that <laughs> in the South Atlantic League. At least I don't think so. No, no he check. did not. Yeah, I, mean, I, I recall him hitting really great. In the, yeah, Raymel Tapia hit three twenty six in the Sally. That's about what I thought. He was 19 as well at that level. Is that right? Age 20. Age 20 is a year older, but... It, it wasn't the full year, though. Yeah. It was like the... Yeah. And, uh... I mean, Raymel Tapia never really hit under 300 at any level. Where he, and, like, those are better hitters' parks than... No, Raymel Tapia literally above the Dominican Summer League can <laughs> hit below 300 at any level. I mean, that's what a seven-hit tool is. Right. Um... You know... I take no pleasure in this. It's not gonna be... It's not going to do anything good for me professionally to write this to article. To throw out a guy that had similar issues, not exactly at the same level, but it was in the Florida State. You know, Ahmed Rosario had some of the same issues at some of the, at the same level of development. Ahmed Rosario had huge athletic tools. Ahmed Rosario had huge athletic and tools. And crazy Rosario speed. had crazy bat speed. But I'm, I'm just I, I'm pointing out guys that have had these issues and come back and become good prospects, good major leaguers. Sure. It is not hopeless. We are not saying it is hopeless. Um, but you know, the idea that you would still be saying that Mickey Moniak's a better prospect than Sixto Sanchez is pretty fucking nuts. And a lot of people are still saying that. And that's just based on draft position and signing laws, and nothing else. Nothing they've done as professionals, nothing that they've looked like. Nothing. But that's, you know, that's you're going to get a lot of that evaluation based on signing bonus and draft position for guys in low A. Because, you know, Sally's not the most covered league in the world. It's, you know, there's some teams in some really weird places in the Sally. Like Hickory, North Carolina. Yeah. That's a fun little team. I may have, yeah, liked, so. I may have spoiled what I'm about to say about Leody Tavares, but well, you, you had him at bro. 30 on the midseason. I did. I basically wrote this in the 10 pack. See, and... see, you know, now, my thing was, I actually, after seeing him, think that's about right. I just... 
I know, you're a whore for bat speed. I am. It's a good body, he could run, he's a really good center fielder, and he knows it. Like, it's like, well, he ticks he, all my but, boxes. But why is he only hitting 250 in the South Atlantic League? I just, it's, he's That's uncomfortable that I... from the right side, he's a switch hitter. Um. So great, once he gets all that stuff worked out, we can pull him in the top 15. Yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just saying... I'll, I'll throw one out there. Larry Tavares is the prospect that people think Mickey Moniak is. You're just like, what is it? Why is it always you? I'm trying to have like a nice, measured discussion about Mickey Moniak, and like every that's time like, we try to do this on is. the show. No, I. Know. That's what it is. That he's the prospect that pe- he's got the skill set that I think people think Mickey Moniak has. He has the one-one skill set. Yeah, which is also sort of the obliquely the topic of my piece this week. Right. I'm avoiding the actual topic of your piece. This yeah. not. Um, but you know he's he's a guy that if you if you went out there and said this guy was drafted first overall I'd be like okay I, he's struggling a little in the salad and that's probably not great but sure he was also young for his draft class because he's only the eighteen salad. now yeah. yeah so he must have been young for his draft class yeah sure why not um, Michael Machuello, who could have been the first overall pick in 2015, is apparently healthy and now looking like a first overall pick pitcher again. That's pretty good stuff. Now, you can't rank him like that because he's been healthy for like a month at this point. Yes. Because he was obviously not healthy early in the season where he was pitching like one inning out and getting bombed, I'm assuming. I would assume so, yes. This was, you know, 95 to 97 with a good hard change. Yeah, like a, a... a plus change, flashed the curve a couple times. Yeah, the curve's projectable, I'd say. Yeah, and apparently that's a pitch that he's had in the past, so he might just, you know, still be working it back in, or yeah. might have been focusing on the change specifically in this start. It was, yeah, it was effective, certainly. You know, big, God, big probably. Kid, yeah. I'd say, I'd say, you know, a 6'7", 250 kind of guy. Yep. Just a big dude. Very clean motion. Like, yeah, so we were talking about, like, like there's no red flags there, and the only reason we're worried he might blow out again is because he's blown out twice. <laughs> right. And there's no other elbow, nothing in the... His, his, he has severe elbow and back problems in his past. Yeah. Which are not, you know... Not ideal. Yeah, when we talk about James Caprellian having only thrown... You know, they were in the same draft... And you could kind of comp them, you know, James Caprellian's thrown 56 pro innings, and that's including the Arizona Fall League, which is friendly to him. You know, Matchwell has basically thrown the same amount. Yeah. And these are guys who were drafted, you know, 27 months ago. Matchwell has thrown 49 pro innings. Um, and he's already 23. But again, you don't really worry about age for that kind of... Thing. It's also like Al Canson's going to be a little old for his leagues. Just because, but there's a reason. Yeah. And uh, there's that, a hitter bother us a lot more. On that note, you can also apply that to Kyle Cody, who we saw on Sunday opposite Sixto. Weird profile. Struck out 11 dudes in four and two thirds innings. Yeah. Um, so he's a second round pick of the Twins in 2015 as a junior out of Kentucky and didn't sign? And, like, I started, like, Googling around to, like, try and figure out why. Like, he didn't fail a physical. He just turned down their offer. 
Like, that just doesn't happen with college pitchers, really, ever. And he went back into the draft and was a priority senior signed in the sixth round for probably a fifth of what he would have been offered as a second rounder. Um, he looked like, he looked like a 2015 second round pick pitcher that should be in double A. Is that pretty safe to say? Yeah. I mean, it was, again, like the Rangers, it's an easy mid nineties fastball. Sure. A uh, couple of good secondaries. Yeah, projectable. Curveball was you know, a little loose, good. but the shape was there. The change, you know, the feel came and went, but there were some pretty good ones. Um, yeah. It's a bowling ball of a fastball with huge arm side run. No, you like, there were some, like, 92... Yeah. yeah. He basically works out of the stretch functionally, um, and the arm action's a little long. So he doesn't always finish it. He'll miss arm side enough. He threw like three to the screen as he started to tire, which is, I guess he's had delivery problems. Is the the way it was? Yeah, I mean, I, I I talked to uh, Tepid over at Lone Star Ball on Twitter, and apparently the the reason he's there is he's had delivery and change up issues that he's just gotten together in the past, you know, month or so. But again, he's a little old for the level because he was a senior sign and. But, like, it's... I know we're, we're walking out, I'm like, eh, it's, it's like a Roll 5 guy to me. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, somebody that might be in contention for their top 10, although they have a very good system, so he might not be. Um, I mean, if Kyle Cody was in the Mets system, he'd be in contention for, like, their top 5. But, uh, Michael Batchewell was in the Mets system. He <laughs> might be the number one overall prospect by the end of the season. Yeah. Um, Which I guess to give you hope for Thomas Apucky in 2019. Right. We saw one other interesting pitcher who I wrote up for the 10-pack. Former $4.6 million signee Jairo Barris is now a pitcher. And she throws hard. Now, they did this conversion a lot earlier than, like, any other team would have because he had not, like, devolved to, like, hopeless stage yet as a hitter. Like, it wasn't working, but it was, you know, he was putting up respectable slash lines and kind of figuring some stuff out, and he was only 22. Um, but, so what, what I understand happened looking at a couple of stories is that he was playing, he was the starting right fielder in high A. Um, I think it was right field. Um, he, was, he was a starting position player in high A, and they got absolutely smashed one game and had to have a position player pitch, and he volunteered, and then hit 99 on the charter gun. Yeah. And it was like, okay, you're not a you're not a position player anymore. Um, and, like, the funny thing is he had, like, sort of three pitches. So um, the mechanics were clearly just guys yeah. throwing the ball. Since the Jason Mott, I I, just bring it back to my ear and go. I think I called them crude and having difficulty repeating. Yeah. He threw a couple of, like, good sliders. I think they were sliders. They might have been curves. There's one, like, real good change-up. They're in, like, warm-ups, though. Like, it's a hard, long-breaking uh, So he was... Slurry I mean, thing. On what we think were the fastballs, he was basically, like, 94 to 98. Yeah. Um, plus a... He threw what we believe were two 
breaking balls of some type and two change-ups. Yes, um, the Chargers were also not sure. There was one, like, the, the last pitch he threw was, like, a really good change-up. Like, a really yeah. good change-up. Um, so there's something there, I guess. Yeah, I don't... They're going to need to get him hooked up with, like, somebody that can teach him how to pitch at some point. Sure. I mean, you know, I don't get the know. off-season for that, instructs and whatnot. He's only 22, is the thing that I didn't realize. Like, normally right, you so, think of these guys as being, like, 25 or... because right, usually they are. Because yeah. usually, you know, Courtney Hawkins is still hitting. Um, yeah, so Barris is 22, but he's got to go on the 40. Yes. What do you do? I mean, somebody will pop him, right, as a pitcher? you got to put him on, right? <laughs> but then he start the clock? Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird decision. It is a weird decision. I, you know, I assume, you know, over the course of probably instructs, that they're going to get a much better idea of yeah. whether they're there or not. They could send him to the AFL, too. Oh, God, you can't send that guy to the AFL. No, no, you, you got to send him to Instruct. The AFL is not a good learning environment for that. I mean, this is a guy, we don't see guys like this because this is like, this is like something you'd see at like a perfect game All-American showcase of like sophomores. Yeah, yeah. Of like this, this stage of development. Like, you wouldn't even see that because those guys are more popular. This is like something you'd see in like a Dominican Prospect League game of 14-year-olds. Yes. In terms of mechanics. Yeah. Um, so I really just don't know how to evaluate it. Right. And guess what? If he was 14, he'd be getting $4.5 million as a pitcher, too. Maybe. I don't know. Um, but, you know, obviously he's giant human throwing hard. Yes. So. All right. You're yawning, so we should move on to emails, I feel like. Yeah. So, our email, we got an email from Gregory. Gents, next August, as we are, I can't believe I'm writing this, pining away for Lucas Duda after 264-pound Dom Smith can't hit his weight, we're looking at how to solve first base for 2019. I, for one, look forward to the Pete Alonso era beginning. What are your thoughts on his major's projection? Do I have too much faith in his tools and ability to stay healthy? Second, yes. love, yeah, we'll get to it. Love the double-A numbers for Tim Peterson. Does he have a chance for future bullpen role in Queens? I mean, everybody does at this point. Uh, Fuck, I, they call the fucking Chase and Bradford. Anybody has a shot. Peterson's is 27 this year, I think. Uh, he's they a, call, they, Tyler Pill's been an up-and-down no, guy this year. Anybody has a shot. But, yeah, no, not, not any realistic shot. No. Yeah, he's a fastball split guy, and it's a good enough split that he'll do enough against double-A hitters, but it's like 87 to 90. Given how sustained success. Given how big of a disaster that Vegas bullpen has turned into as they've had everybody called up, except for Kevin McGowan for some weird reason, um, that he hasn't ended up in the Vegas bullpen. Is, uh, uh, they've moved Burns up and down. They've moved Mateo up and down. Right. That's They promoted Baldonado of- out. That's telling you what you need to know, I think. I mean, he did. He got two innings there. 
But um, he has not gotten a sustained shot at the Vegas bullpen, which I think is telling you pretty much what you need to know. I'm not really a Pete Alonso guy. I'm not either. I mean, I don't have to tell you seven raw. I don't think he'll hit. He's a bad defensive first baseman at this point. Righty, it's just you know. We don't have, you know, I I have never internally or from a trusted external source heard a particularly glowing Pete Alonso report. Yep, is that a good way of putting it? Yep, yeah, just I, don't. We don't have first division starting first baseman reports on him. That doesn't mean he can't get there. He has the tools to get there. And I would to get to get drafted as a right-handed first baseman in the second round out of college. You actually have to have some pretty good skills. It's seventy raw power. Right. He may figure out. You know, he may shorten up his swing a little bit. That's not out of the question. It's not hopeless. But right now, the swing is a little bit too long, and the mechanics aren't great. And I wouldn't, uh... Like, he's hitting exactly what a power-hitting SEC first baseman should hit in the Florida State League in their first professional season. Even a, even a little worse, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm saying 272, 337, 513. Yeah. For that guy, only to have a 5% walk rate in the FSL is not a, is a bit of a warning sign. Sure. Again, if you're looking at the statistics. It's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine, whatever. He... Again, the problem is, if he's a role for a right-handed first baseman, there's just not a role for that guy in a major he's... league team. Cody Decker! Yep. And he better start learning how to catch and play third and play outfield and get an Israeli passport. We also have a Facebook question. I have to scroll down. It's further down. Ah, so I think this is bouncing off the is TJ Rivera good question from last week. One from Adam. Question for the pod. Is Tim Tebow good at baseball? No. Next question. Uh, we have a Twitter question as well. I do remember that we got a Twitter question this week. That's uh, in my oh here it is. Uh, from Sid. Michael Conforto is good. Is he A already the Mets best player and B yes. better than average defender in a corner? Yes. Uh, I mean, so we did we did not mention this, but the Mets today basically flat out said Michael Conforto is now a center fielder moving forward. That's uh, bold, Cotton. That's basically what Sandy said. We're shockingly surprised that he's actually good out there, and we consider him a center fielder moving forward. Paraphrase I mean, I he's mean, looked fine out there. The metrics say he's fine out there. He's. He has not looked efficient in center field, even in like the ways that like Granderson was at like at points over the last two years. Like he actually does have pretty good reaction times. He does have enough foot speed to cover the ground, and he's got enough arm for it. Yeah, I mean, and it's it doesn't appear to be affecting his development, does it? No. So, I mean, if this is all to make room for Jake Bruce, it's fucking stupid. But yeah. 
I don't know, man. <laughs> I know what you mean. I, I know. It's, it it doesn't, doesn't like... Doesn't, you know, this is a guy that was drafted and people thought he might have to move to first base and now we're talking about him as like a league average center fielder. Like, this isn't supposed to happen. I don't think it after passes the literally, test, but... After playing literally no games in center field as a prospect. I, to me, it does. That's, you know, I have not... I have not seen an abnormal amount of plays that he's just, like, been unable to make as a center fielder. All right, let's pull up the inside edge data, just for my personal curiosity. This is not going to be a huge sample size, because he's played, what, maybe 30 games at first base at this point? Center, you mean. Center, sorry. Again, among other things that are currently dying on this computer, my trackpad is one of them. Alright. Inside edge feeling. Center field. He has played 219 innings, so that's more like 25 games. Uh, I mean, again, it's a... Okay, so he's made 100% of the routine plays. He's made 100% of the likely plays, too. He's made none of the even chances, none of the unlikely, none of the remote, of which is a total of five plays. Right. So uh, it's like, yeah, it's... It's uh, it's exactly... It's exactly what you'd expect, I guess. He's not going to make anything spectacular out there, but... If you add in his 39 innings in the previous year, he did make two unlikely basket plays. Yeah. So over the course of... Over the course of his major league career in center, he's had seven plays that were above 1% but less than 60% and made two of them. Which is about right. Yeah, I mean, it's this sample size is so small as to be meaningless, but... Correct. I don't know. You know, I don't know if you care about UZR. UZR would suggest that he's slightly above that. He's average. UZR would basically suggest he's in the big error bar of average. I mean, it's... Uh, I guess it's viable. It's just like... So, you hit on the issue. What they should be doing is going out and getting Lorenzo Cana playing center and playing Conforto at right. Because the only reason you move Conforto to center is to bring back Jay Bruce. DRS shows him a scratch. Scratch it's 25 games. Scratch in center, but 10 runs above and left. And a 10 run above and left guy usually is about scratch in center. Sure. Again, I'm not... I'm just saying, I, I understand what they're seeing, and I am also seeing pretty much the same thing. And if you're looking for, and if you're a team that doesn't give a fuck about defense at all, and you and have an sudden, average center fielder with a 150 right. weighted runs created plus, and all, that guy's a, a sudden, monster. All of a sudden, you realize that you're the guy. The guy you gave his position to somebody else, and have been trying to find a position for for the last god two calendar years at this point, essentially. Um, you've been trying to find an outfield configuration, and you realize that not only is this guy like a league average center fielder, but it doesn't appear to hurt his bat or his legs, which was the problem with, with Cespedes. Yeah. 
I mean, he did he did drop a lot of weight coming into the season. That could be part of it. He is faster than he was supposed to be. His arm is better than it was supposed to be. Um, oh, God, I'm going to do something, and I'm going to hate myself for doing this. I'm looking up a StatCast leaderboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the good podcast content. <laughs> oh, God. We'll end with some serious uh, self-loathing here for all you kids out there. Um... How good has he been in the StatCast era, Jarrett? His StatCast sprint speed is well above average. StatCast shows him as like a 60, 60, a 60 or 65 runner. It shows him as fast as Jason Hayward and Gregory Polanco and Albert Elmore and Odebol Herrera. And Aaron Judge, actually. I don't know if that's, you know... Russell shows you Wayne Assessment is that fast, which he is when he actually runs, so... But like this guy, he's in the he's in the area in which you'd expect him to be able to play center field, maybe. I mean, the Mets have all these numbers too, so. Right, but like his the league average stat cast is twenty seven feet per second, and Michael Conforto is twenty seven six, so that would indicate that he's an above average runner. Um. I know there's questions about that method's particular, you know, exactness. But, you know, if you, if you come up with a speed metric and your speed metric shows Billy Hamilton and Byron Buxton considerably better than anybody else, you're at least, like, on the right direction. And, like, the rest of the leaderboard is Brad Zimmer. Oh, he's, like, a 6-7 runner. He's not slow. Raymel Tapia, yeah. D. Gordon, yeah. Keon Broxton, Yeah. Frenchy Cordero, yeah, okay. Delino the Shields, yeah. Manny Margot, yeah. Kevin Kiermeyer, yeah. Trey Turner, yeah. Like these are the Jared Dyson, yeah. You've got it. In, you've got these it. These are the in, names expect. This is like the OPS leaderboard will also get you most of the way there in terms of value. So it's probably right in big swaths. Right. So all I'm saying is that the available evidence actually might actually support this conclusion. However. Just fucking stick him in right inside a real center fielder. Like, don't resign Jay Bruce. And on that highly predictable, yet pessimistic note, we'll see you next week for another edition. For all you kids out there. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, 
not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.